It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy, and it's about people. It's about. It's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept: uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force. That sort of controls our destiny,、uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence, great taste, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang bang and people fall over and dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Hello and welcome back to Generation Skywalker,、um, our second show of this year's Book Month, and I'm delighted that this show we have our first guest of the month in、uh, Becca Benjamin. Becca is a podcast host over on Tarkin's Top Shelf and Canada's Castle. She is a, a blogger. She's got her fingers in so many pies, which you will hear in the upcoming interview. So, without any haste here, let's go over to listen to our interview with Becca Benjamin with myself and. Jazz. Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca. 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 R e b e c c a. Rebecca. R e b e c c a Rebecca, 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 R e b e c c a. We are stoked to be joined on Generation Skywalker today by a popular and extremely busy member of the Star Wars community, a writer and podcaster, which we will be covering shortly. I'm delighted to welcome Becca Benjamin to the podcast. Hello. 
Hi. Oh, this is so nice. Um, thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to be a guest and just talk Star Wars and have a nice, relaxing atmosphere. This is great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you're part of our, our book month, so you're obviously a, a great choice <laughs> with your background, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Jez, I've got you with me as well tonight. Good evening, Jez. Good evening. Hello. Hi, Becca. Hello. Now, Becca, before we get into all like the books and the podcasting, what is Star Wars to you? Where does your background with Star Wars come from? Oh, wow. That is a very open-ended question. It started in the beginning. Um, You know, for us, over in the States, uh, Star Wars came out in 77 and I was three. And of course, it played in theaters for a year. So um, my brother is two years older and he was the kid with the cardboard cutout, you know, waiting for his figures to come. My mother had always been a huge fantasy, sci-fi fantasy, sci-fi fan. You know, Star Trek was always on in my house, things like that. So we went as a family. The first thing I remember, of course, which I think everyone says is, you know, the Star Destroyer <laughs> came on screen and you're like, <gasps> you know, and being three, you're so little and the sound and that ship, you just felt so small. Um, but my biggest takeaway from that was Darth Vader. Um, and it just, it really snowballed from there. You know, I turned four, I had, I have a Darth Vader cake trimmed in pink. This was an ongoing thing. It was something we've always talked about, you know, up until my mother passed, but cause I didn't want Princess Leia, I had to have Vader. So I've been a Vader fan since I was three or four. And once the prequels really came out, cause I was a young adult at the time, just starting to have a family, those really melded with me i mean i became so attached to shmi and padme and anakin and i realized down the line the real the reason why i was so connected with anakin and padme was because as a young kid you know going through the originals you know at the ages of three to nine basically while those were taking place before i knew shipping was a thing you know was a a term i wanted luke and leia to be together so I think I finally had that when I got Anakin and Padme, you know, was able to have that happen for me. Um, so I just really connected with that storyline based on family and what it really means. There's so many different implications that come with family. It's not just hearts and roses, you know, there's a lot of, you know, ugly that goes along behind closed doors, so to speak. Of course, with this, it's behind the screen, but I just really, I think I grew with it, if that makes sense. And I feel that's probably the one thing that's so grand about Star Wars is that as you grow, it grows because you look at it through different lenses. You know, you look at it one way when you're a kid and you're growing up with it. But then as you experience life, you experience these things that these characters have ever, have already gone through. Granted, it's at a galactic scale on the screen, but you can really relate. So your opinions and your views change throughout the years and it's almost like looking at it as if you're seeing it for the first time all over again and I think that is the huge phenomenal experience of Star Wars is that you can't it's like a good pair of shoes you know you can't throw it away you do what you can do you add the shoelaces if they're not going to work anymore because it just is a comfort it fits with you you've been through such a journey you don't want to discard it you know so I mean really honestly I feel that Star Wars is a part of who I am it's part of what I do, and I just, I'll be here until there is no more Star Wars or until I'm no longer here, which I think is how it's going to go. Even after I'm gone, Star Wars will still exist, 
And it's just, as you guys know, it's a part of who you are. It's a part of your DNA. You've been, it's been there all along. So yeah, it's just a journey. Brilliant. And I totally agree with your, your point. It's so true when you um say that your opinions of these things change as you get older, you see different things. And it's very true, actually. I see a lot of um people that were prequel haters really soften into them these days. We've just um we've just done a trailer podcast where we've gone back and looked at the trailers from from the prequels. And I think all of us are a bit more um a bit more in love with them, weren't we, Jez? It was your uh, your area. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, you know, everyone's giving Ahmed best. You know, it was great to see the love which he was getting from people at Celebration, Chicago, you know, and you look back 10 years and stuff, and I think people were disappointed. And, you know, we had said in the prequel trailer element that we think is because the uh, the trailers had put the franchise on such a huge pedestal. It was almost impossible back then for a lot of people for the films to, to you know, to, to, to come good on the promises of the trailers but yeah people dip in and out and, and characters grump grow and develop but we um yeah i completely agree with your sentiment about it being part of you you know and indeed <laughs> without getting too morbid or anything i already know that you know when my time comes to pass or uh, to pass on i've definitely got yoda's theme as i'm um is my coffins disappearing you know that's the sort of stuff which i'm thinking because star wars is that much part of my life so i completely get you back at what you're saying that's great. It's good to know that I'm in good in good company. I'm not going crazy with it. But um, yeah, it's just uh, it's part of us, you know, and that's why we do what we do. It's therapy and it takes us away from the doldrums of reality and um, the scarier parts of life that we don't want to have to face because we face it 24 seven. So to be able to dip into this galaxy, it really has saved lives in different ways not just phys- you know i would i don't want to say physically but for a lot of us mentally you know so i'm happy that it's here i'm happy that we get more of it cuz let's face it there was a time where we all thought those six films were all we were going to get that was it the end that's the story now look what we have it's it's amazing we've gone from what 12 13 hours worth of star wars to hundreds of hours worth of Star Wars now where, um, you know, sometimes we need to pinch ourselves to realise just how lucky we are. You know, it is everywhere. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it's in good hands. And I think it's, um, yeah, there's something for everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no reason to spout bad things about other parts of Star Wars that others love because, you know, you can go anywhere. There's so many different avenues and eras and mediums that you can dip into you don't have to just stick to the one thing that's out that's the newest thing out that's what's crazy about it it's just there's so much it's almost as probably almost as vast now as marvel in its own right and i think that's great i really do i don't see why i I don't know i guess i'm just maybe i'm naive in my old age but i just feel that there's so much to explore so why get stuck on the one thing that you don't agree with? You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I just, I feel like you get more, I don't know, jolliness, you know, if you just, and more happiness and positivity, if you just spread that around more light and love versus, oh, I'm going to go on this because this was terrible. And, you know, I, I, I'm still trying to understand that way of, you know, that way of thought, you know, but people go on these tangents just to seek out 
the things that they don't like. And I, I just don't understand that. Life is too short, everybody. Please <laughs> just, you know, find something that you really <laughs> love and go with that. And if you don't like it, move on to something else. I just, yeah. I mean, it's great because you guys were talking about the prequels and my son is 19 and he absolutely loves the prequels. That was what he grew up with, um, specifically the Clone Wars. So, I mean, he goes on and on about, you know, episodes one through three, like, like they're the best. So I think it's great. I think each trilogy has been written for the specific generation of what's, what's current. And I think that's how it should be. I mean, I think the sooner we all realize, depending on what generation you are from, you know, like I know for me being 47, I know the prequels, you know, were meant for someone in that age group of, you know, 15 to maybe 18, maybe 12 to 18 would be more fair. You know, it, that's what it was written for, just like the sequel trilogy. It wasn't written for someone my age. It was for today's generation. I, I, it's just the way it is. I mean, and that's all well and good. And that's okay. That doesn't mean I can't like it. I do. I mean, is it what I expected? No, but that's just it. The, it's the expectation part. You know, we're not the ones sitting back writing these stories. Those you know, creative people, those architects are the ones that are giving us the story. And that's how it is. You know, we have to just be okay with that. And that's what they get paid for. That's what they're doing with their lives. And I think it's great. We have so many new stories now. And I think they're doing an excellent job. Just with response to the, the sequels, I mean, there has been disappointment. I know people who are disappointed with them. But you're very well read. You're, you know, you're up to date with your literature. Is there any books that you think people could read that maybe help you enjoy The Rise of Skywalker more, that kind of explains a bit more or gets you thinking a bit more? Absolutely. Um, number one, if you have not read it, you need to, is the the novel adaptation of Revenge of the Sith. There are so many nuggets in that book, I kid you not, that reflect on the sequel trilogy. And no one can tell me different that those directors or the creators helping those directors uh, did not read that book to help them with certain elements of the sequel trilogy. Uh, Mark Suter and I, we recently spoke with Matthew Stover, who um, wrote that book. And we did share some things with him that whether or not he knew that were taken, that had to be literally taken from his book and put into the sequel trilogy. Number one example. Now, have you both read this? Because I don't want to do spoilers. <laughs> Even though the book is like from 2004, 2005. Yeah, I probably still. read it a long while ago. So okay. Not recent. So in the novel adaptation of Revenge of the Sith, the moment that Yoda walks in on Palpatine to face him, you know, uh, and Palpatine literally knocks him out with the force lightning. When Yoda does rise in that book, it is stated that at that moment, all of the Jedi that have come before him stand with him now so all the jedi be with me be with me yes the whole ray thing it happens for yoda at that moment and at the same time it happens for palpatine all the sith rise with him so at that moment that battle between yoda and palpatine is very similar to palpatine and ray because again all the jedi that have come before stand with yoda at that moment and all the sith that have come before stand with palpatine at that moment so to me, there's no way that didn't that wasn't pulled from from that book. That's just beautiful to me. A trilogy of books that I think would really help people to see that the element and the seeds of Palpatine rising or having that 
plan B, so to speak, to, you know, basically restore his essence in a vessel is planted very well with Chuck Wendig and the Aftermath trilogy. All three of those books, it really, it's it's all there. Um, and that was, I believe, that came out beginning, I think, Aftermath in 2015, right after, I think, The Force Awakens came out, that book came out, if I'm not mistaken. And then there's Life Debt, and then, um, uh, what's the last one? Empire's, Empire's End. So I think those books alone are really worth a read to help you understand where they came up with those breadcrumbs for Palpatine. Fascinating what you said there about the Sith. So I'm definitely going to go back and look at that. Oh, what great insight. Thanks very much for that. You're welcome. We're going to be coming to that book a bit later, a bit more, aren't we? Because it is in your uh, in your five photos you've sent to us. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We would definitely delve a bit more into that. Before we get too much into the literature, though, we mentioned at the beginning, you're a big podcaster. And, and in fairness, you're so busy. I mean, going through your stuff, you're a blogger, you write articles for people, um, you're on a couple of podcasts, you're a mother, you you work. I mean, how do you fit it all in? Does it have, <laughs> is your husband and children heavily into Star Wars? <laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, I don't know sometimes how I fit it all in. I just kind of do. Um, there has been a lot of sleepless nights, you know, trying to get certain things done or just you're restless because you know you've got your own personal deadlines. You just learn to juggle. I think time management is a big thing for me. Uh, my kids, luckily for me now, they are pretty much young adults. My baby is 19. My oldest is going to be 24 this month. So things are a little easier now for me to find the time. Back when I first started, not so much. Um, but, you know, all three of my kids are extremely well-versed in Star Wars. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's always a good thing, because I know it for a while it was probably forced upon. Um, we did, in the beginning, when they were very small, probably when my oldest was about nine-ish, um, making the youngest about four, uh, we were, you know, financially strapped, uh, to put it lightly. So we didn't have things like cable at the time. So... I would play old VHS tapes or CDs, well, DVDs, whatever I had just to get them to watch something on the screen because we didn't have cable. So that mainly consisted of Star Wars. Um, so they watched a lot of that. They they really, they do know their stories pretty well. It's, it's interesting because my middle child just recently told me that, you know, she was out with friends and she showed them my, my Twitter. And I'm like, why are you doing this? But she's like, oh, yeah, I was totally talking you up, mom. And now most of my guy friends are like following you because you do Star Wars podcasts. And I'm just like, OK, so it's just it's it's interesting. It comes up for them quite a bit in their lives. And I think my daughters find it thrilling almost that there are friends of theirs that just find them to be shocking that they know their Star Wars. Now, my son, he is the biggest Star Wars fan out of my out of my kids and um, he's been to a celebration with me. Um, he, like I said, he's a big Clone Wars fan. He loves the Bad Batch. Like that, that to him right there was for him his shining moment because when he was 10, I took him to celebration that, that year, which was, um, no, he wasn't 10. How old was he? It was 2010. So he was eight. Excuse me. He was eight. It was back in 2010. Took him to celebration that year. It was in Orlando and it was the first day. And it was closing up and we were walking through um, like the food court area. And, you know, there was a group of people right in front of us. There wasn't too many people around. So, of course, voices carry, you know, when you get these big rooms um, and there's nobody in them. And there was a gentleman in the middle of that group 
and all you could see was the back of him, and he was in a black T-shirt, and he had a cowboy hat on. And I grabbed Jacob by his backpack because he was smaller than me then. I go, wow, you know, just from the back, that guy, he looks like Dave Filoni, you know, the guy that does the Star Wars Clone Wars. Well, they all stopped in their tracks, and the lady that was standing next to him tapped him on his shoulder, and you can see his head going forward like, ugh, turns around, and his hands go out, very Han-like. He's like, yeah, it's me. <laughs> So my son got a few minutes with Dave Filoni. It was it was great. Uh, you know, I have a picture of it, obviously. And uh, Dave got down on his knees, you know, talking to my son. And he's like, you know, so what do you like about the Clone Wars? What do you want? And, you know, shy eight-year-old kid is like, I want more clones. So when the Bad Batch came out, I, he felt that was his answer <laughs> being answered, you know, what he wanted. So for him, that's, you know, his shiny moment. So he took that very personally. Um, he's, you know, followed Star Wars ever since he could talk, you know, so, and he's still very much into it. He's looking forward to, um, Star Wars visions. So, yeah, I mean, it's cool. You know, sometimes he takes my artwork and hangs it up in his room. It's okay. It's all good. Cause every so often he'll hand me like his little Legos, you know, I've got Lego, um, Leia sitting on my, um, desk at the moment and things like that. So, it, you know, it's great. It's it's meant for that. I mean, like, if you talk to... And I'm sorry, I'm going on forever. I apologize. You carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but if you talk to... You know, well, if I guess if you listen to, like, Dave Filoni and John Favreau talk, you, you guys know this is what it's about. It's about passing that torch. It's about passing it on to the next generation because you want someone else to carry that legacy on. And I think that's what it is. And I think it's brilliant because... What other franchise has that? Like, we really are the custodians passing it on to our kids, and hopefully they can do the same, right? Because it's going to last. I mean, now that it's in Disney's hands, it's going to last. And it's just it's just amazing to me. It really is. It's about family. Carrie Fisher nailed it with that. It is about family. That's a wonderful story as well. A lovely story. Let's just bring up, you do, do, you do two podcasts. I mean... All right, we, we put out several shows, but you're busy. You're a busy podcaster because obviously there is a lot of work goes into a podcast, the editing and the research and stuff. So let's just take a quick look at the two you do. First of all, Canatus Castle, who you record with um, another lady called Devon, better referred to as Red Five Mum. Mm -hmm. What yeah. is that podcast? What do you cover on that? Um, well, our motto for that podcast is where the, you know, Canatus Castle is a podcast that's rated E for everyone. Um, we got that from our kids, from our sons, because they're both very much into the Star Wars gaming thing. And basically, um, we cover anything. It doesn't matter. Anything and everything. We look through it. We look at Star Wars through the lens of a mom, um, for the most part. And basically, like Maz Kanata, we only have one rule. There's no fighting. Um, so basically, it doesn't matter where you are in your Star Wars journey. You can just be a new fan you can have been there all the time you could only like maybe you're only into like the comics or you're only into the animation or you just stick with the films it doesn't matter where you are on that star wars journey we welcome everybody so it's just one of those podcasts that really it's just a conversation on whatever we feel like discussing at the moment and we try to always put that mom lens focused on whatever topic we are, you know, chatting about at that moment. And well, you're obviously already over a hundred deep episodes on there. How often do you do you release them? Oh, that one, Devin and I, you know, she's got a very tight schedule now. She's got her elderly mother-in-law living with them, and so she's busy that way. And I get it. A caretaker is, you know, very um, 
necessary to have. And so we don't do it as frequently as we would like. Uh, for the most part, we are biweekly. At least we try to do that at least to a month. Uh, the summer, though, it has been probably only once a month, sadly. But, you know, things are just too busy on her end. But that's okay. Uh, you know, your family's always first. And, you know, with my other podcast, that does require a lot more preparation, a lot more concentration. <laughs> um, there's deadlines to be met. So that's okay. You know, so it kind of frees me up to do those things. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. You know, when Devin and I get to actually sit together, we do our best to sometimes, uh, you know, be able to bring someone special on, you know, if we can. Like, I think the one you guys recently listened to, we had Miss Marshall on, the voice of Hera. Um, and she is just like, if you ever get to speak with her, oh, she's just a gem. I'm privileged to be able to call her my friend. Uh, we just... We really did connect when we met. It was a teary moment when we met. And it still touches me every time she says that she is like she hangs on to that memory. It just never dissipates. She can see it, you know, vividly still. And it means the world to me because she really is genuinely Hera. Like she is that person. She's just so, you know, positive and always sees the hope in others. And just she's she's just great. So if you ever get a chance to talk with her please do she's just amazing it's wonderful when these uh, these people you know they take take to uh, star wars as well isn't it they're not just an actress that comes in and does their job Absolutely. i've heard lots of stories about her yeah and also the other thing i've i've listened to a few of the canada castles over the over the months and stuff um i do enjoy your skits who comes up with those <laughs> that is all devon Oh my gosh. And she's such a slave driver with those because I obviously am a bad actress. Um, so she makes me do my lines over and over again. So she'll have separate takes of all these lines and then she picks which ones that she thinks fits the best. And she's really good at that. It's funny because I've come up with a few of the ideas, but she actually writes them. Um, and she's just, it, they're so funny. Um, and every so often we'll get a guest that's willing to play along um james arnold taylor uh, we had him on and he was awesome he had no problems you know joining right in he gave us a few takes of different things and he was so much fun so yeah that's that's i'm gonna give that 100 all to devon <laughs> she's great well, i have to say you nailed them because they're the kind of thing sometimes you think oh let's do something like that and then you uh recording you listen back and you think my god what a love, what a mess but they're good <laughs> they're good fun uh, Thanks. I'll yeah. tell her. She'll love that. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And obviously your other podcast, which is more relatable to what we're doing this month, and that is Tarkin's Top Shelf, which you record with Mark Suter. So um, now these are quite regular, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Lately, they've been almost weekly or sometimes twice a week. We, well, as you guys know, being into books and all, the content is just rolling out and it's so hard to keep up. And, you know, what I think is funny right now is there's that running joke going on with Kevin Scott, you know, the whole, you know what you did, Kev. Um, but <laughs> that being said, it's his fault, too, because, you know, he came out with Tempest Runner and uh, Life Day Treasury are like back to back here. So it's like you're trying to get through from the same author two different stories. And it's like, holy cow. So, yeah, I mean, I am not whining at all. I mean, I'm happy that these books are coming out. But as you guys know, sometimes it's extremely overbearing, you know, because you need to read these and get them out at a certain time, you know, and especially if you were, you know, uh, grateful enough to get um, 
the advanced copies, you know, you know, you have a deadline because they're giving you those knowing that you're going to turn around and do a review on them. So um, it's not really a signed contract, but it's it's a contract in, a, in its own right, you know. So, yeah, but, you know, it's it's all in great fun. It's awesome. I don't take any of it for granted. I'm very grateful that they trust us with this stuff, you know, because it's amazing. How much time do you set aside for reading? Because when you're knocking these out, like you say, so many books come in thick and fast. You're covering them. Do you, do you turn to audio books or is it read, read, read? I actually prefer this is I think this is more of a United States thing, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it goes back to the 80s. I love the old fashioned hooked on phonics version, <laughs> which is where you can listen to it and read along at the same time. Um, so there are some books that I will turn to Audible and read through the book at the same time because it does tend to sink in better for me um which is something that i talked about briefly the other day i was it's interesting that i have a book podcast at all because when i was very young first grade actually i was held back due to my comprehension skills for reading so i find it so ironic now that i actually do a book podcast but um yeah i do if i can if it's comes out at a you know fair enough time i can do the audible version along with the book if i can um it's very hard for me though just to do plain audible without the without the text. I I just can't concentrate as if I was reading it. I would prefer the actual hard copy of the book if I can um, versus just listening to it. I have hard times with audio dramas. I not that I don't you know love them because um, I think they're very entertaining, but I do tend to realize that my mind goes all over the place and I can't really focus on just the dialogue because you've got the sound effects, you've got the music, you know, so there's just so much going on. I think if I had a visual with that, you know, whether it be the script of the audio or an actual, you know, animation going on somewhere, I think then it would all do its part and I could actually sit down and understand what was going on. But, you know, short answer here, yes, I do prefer to just read if I can. My big preference, though, is to be able to listen to it as I read at the same time. Going back over those two then, so that's your two sort of primary ones, Kanata's Castle and uh, Tarkin's Top Shelf, which are pretty much available on all podcast formats. You were uh, fortunate enough to have a Celebration Chicago podcast stage. So you are there with two podcasts, Kanata's Castle and Tarkin's Top Shelf. And you, you applying for them. Did you apply for both or did you make a decision at the beginning? Right, we're going to go for Tarkin's or how did that work out for you? Well, that was the second time uh, Tarkin Subshelf held the podcasting stage. We actually did it in Orlando in 2017 as well. We are actually aligned with Pitiful Little Band Podcast Network. We just started that maybe a year ago at the most. Um, and what it is, it's uh, Tarkin Subshelf, it's Kanata's Castle, and it's also Idiot's Array Podcast. Um all of us go, especially Idiot's Array and myself, uh, we go way back. Uh, we go back to the Cantina cast. Before it was run by Albert and Jonesy, it was actually run by um, Mike Rondo and um, Joe Stinson. And they wanted to umbrella and make all these different podcasts and have a website and all these things. And that's where Idiot's Array comes in and Tarkin's Top Shelf. We were going to be the book review and they were going to do more of a all around about anything goes podcast with Star Wars Idiot's Array. And I actually named them. Um, I love to title. Um, so 
it, they basically fell into the cantina brand, like what names can go with a cantina, Star Wars style. So they wanted three guys for Idiot's Array. I'm like, okay, well, Idiot's Array, you know, Sabak, you need mm-hmm. an Idiot's Array to win. Three guys, mm-hmm. three cards. There you go. Um, and Tarkin's Top Shelf, that was funny because they originally had their own title set in place for it, and they wanted to call it Tea with Tarkin. And as though I loved it, um, obviously Tea with Tarkin doesn't fit the Cantina brand, but it also sounded way too much like Dan Zier's brand of Coffee with Kenobi. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, we really can't do that. Um so we kept thinking and thinking. I'm like, well, you know, cantina, bars, top shelf. Tarkin's got to have a top shelf. Like, think mm-hmm. about it. He's got to have that top shelf of brandy or like something like that, right? He's got to have this like a library type room with the big roaring fireplace, the big backed red velvet chair, right? His little smoking jacket and a glass of brandy. I just, th- that's what I thought of. So when I think of Tarkin's top shelf, it actually has that top shelf meaning of your top shelf of books. And your top shelf of liquor, um, you know, and it just all kind of formed together and all kind of gelled nice. And, and there it is. But I've been friends with, you know, the guys from Idiots Array for for years. So we all decided to go under one roof, so to speak, and make Idiots Array. Because when I first did the first podcast stage in 2017, my co-host, Mark, just he he couldn't make it. Um, so I'm like, OK, well, what am I going to do? I can't. I can't go on stage by myself. That would be very awkward. And I don't really want to do that. <laughs> Who's going to just come and listen to me, right? So um, I knew Ryder from Idiots Array was was going to go. And I'm like, well, you know, do you want to pair up with me? Would you, you know, mind being my co-host for this and go under Tarkin? And he's like, yeah, not a problem. So I signed up. I told him, you know, I was honest with, you know, going for the panel that I would have a co-host from Idiots Array. He's going to fill in and Sure enough, we got picked. It was great. And it worked out really well. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Your first time on those stage is very jarring. You know, it's you've got nerves going. Um, but yeah, so when I did it for 2019, you know, again, it was very honest that we'd be joined because you can have up to six people on your panel with you or on your mm. stage, however you want to put it. So you want to fill as many seats as you can, even just on that stage. So we decided to make a combination of not just Kanata's Castle, you know, Devin was there with with me as well, but um, Mark and Ryder were both there too. And Mark actually, my co-host for Tarkin is actually one of the co-hosts for Idiots Array. So him and I both do two different podcasts. Um, it's great because it's like one little family. You know, we really have this tight friendship. We all know what we're talking about for each of our episodes and things like that. So yeah, it's just, it works well too, especially with the age brackets because we're kind of all different aged and having a mixture of men and women. It, I just think it brings a nice spice, so to speak, you know, spices to the conversation because everyone's looking at it differently based on their own experience and who they are. So, you know, a little bit for everybody, so to speak, when you're up there. Yeah, absolutely. You could say that it brings balance to the force. Absolutely. I like that better. Yes, we bring <laughs> balance. I like that. Thank you. I just want something I loved about um, Tarkin's top shelf. You're, you're like a bump right up on on the podcast apps. I, lo- I love this bit at the end. Becca and Mark are your guardians to the wills and your librarians to the long lost Jedi archives. It's very nice. Very nicely written. So. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds better than what we really are. I know. But, you know, yeah, it's all right. It was fun, you know, and we it, we've tried. Um, that podcast has been through so many different um directions you know we tried like i said when i pictured tarkin in his own 
little, you know, library type room, his little, you know, smoking area, whatever. We actually did try the crackling fireplace, you know, in the background, things like that. And it's like, oh, gosh, this just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, it's went through so many transformations. I'm happy that we're still here and happy that people are still tuning in. So it's nice, especially because we're a niche within a niche, so to speak, you know, because it's we try and really just keep it to the books. Sometimes we overlap, you know, we go like, as we say, beyond the page. Um, it's always exciting when something from literature pops out and it's all of a sudden now it's in live action. It's just for us, it's like, yes, this is what we're doing this for. This is awesome. You know? So yeah, it's been quite the journey. Well, if anyone hasn't checked it out and they're into their novels, I would say it's, it is uh, there's a good educational side to it, but at the same time, it's done in quite an entertaining entertaining manner which i think is a good balance for a podcast now becca i'm going to get on to the photos you sent sent us before i get into that just one question if you could have any book written in the star wars universe what would it be and who would you get to author it oh my gosh one is so difficult um i think one i've been advocating though for a while it's funny as i talked to mark newbold about this maybe about a year ago on fanthatrax um i actually spoke to Meg, also with uh, Friends of the Force, I really want, because let's face it, everything now is kind of like a prequel, right, with Star Wars? You know, everything happens before the the sequels, so to speak. So I really want a Shmi Skywalker novel. I want everything up until, and maybe a little after, Anakin leaves, you know, is separated from from her life. I want to know her story more in full. Um there's just too many things that point to something very interesting with her. And I do think she's more connected to the force than we are led to believe, um, especially if you get a chance to read uh, Kristen Baver's um, uh, Skywalker, A Family at War. Uh, there is nuggets in there about Shmi that I didn't know about. And of course, it just makes you feel like we we deserve to know more of her story. I mean, if you think of it, that's where Skywalkers begin, right? It's with Shmi. Um, I think there's things in there that we need to know to really fully understand their family and their and their whole journey. And I think if I had to pick a, an author to write it, I would probably right now, uh, I would go with Claudia Gray. Lovely. Didn't expect I didn't expect you to throw Shmi out there. That's a mm-hmm. nice left field. I like that. But you, you, that sort of takes you back. I mean, this is, you know, the, the whole prequels thing when you were saying earlier on about you mentioned Shmi before you even mentioned Padme and Anakin. You you wrote them down, or I wrote them down in that order as you said them uh, when you were talking about, you know, the, these characters who you were loving and that whole story of, you know, because of your love for Anakin and Vader, you know, obviously you have to mother, uh, love um, the sort of mother superior, don't you? Absolutely. There's, like I said, there's a lot about her. Like, seriously, I mean, if you go back and really pay close, you just really watch her facial expressions, specifically in the the Phantom Menace. I mean, when Qui-Gon is, he's really trying to pry when it comes to Anakin, and she's very vague with her responses, but I think her face gives away a lot more than what she's saying. Um, she knows a lot more about her son and who he is and what he's meant to be without saying it. I mean, you could just see it within her stance and with her answers. She knows that he's extremely special and not just special in the way that he's gifted. He's special in the way for the entire galaxy. 
And I think that's why she's able to let go as much as it still pains me to watch that because having kids of my own, there's no way I would let my nine-year-old just walk out the door with a guy I don't know, with anyone that I don't know. Um, I understand that they were, you know, both into slavery and she felt he had a better opportunity, but I think it was more or less she knew that the galaxy needed him. She couldn't, you know... Again, one of her biggest things that Anakin always prided his mother on was that she always told him that the problem with this galaxy is that nobody helps one another. Well, if she withheld Anakin from the galaxy, she's doing she's doing against what she constantly preaches. So she had to let him go. It's just there's so much more that we just don't know. And I want to know it. That's brilliant. It's clear you're very invested in in your Anakin, your Padme's. And you said that are the prequels your favorite era for Star Wars, the stories and the films. Oh, that's hard. Um, you see, my go-to, I always say go-to, my go-to Star Wars film that I feel comfortable always playing is A New Hope. Um, I just, I absolutely love it. Um, it's just a feel-good movie. It has a, a wholeness to it, you know, because George made it so because he didn't know if he'd ever get the opportunity to put out the other stories that he already had somewhat scripted, right? So it always feels whole, like it has a beginning, a middle, and an end to it in its own right. Um, so I feel like that's always, and it's got a, it ends on a feel good note, you know, but yeah, I think the prequels are the most complex. They have the most pain, I think, but yet at the same time through that pain, there is that glimmer of hope that, you know, things can still get better. You know, um, it does leave you with that, but yeah, I mean, it really is as pristine and shiny and beautiful as the prequels are, they're messy. You know, they show you how just one choice, you know, because of a certain change in someone's life, one choice can just have a huge domino effect, right? Um, you don't get that really in any other trilogy but the prequels. And it's just, it's heart-wrenching to watch, you know, but yet at the same time, I think that's really the meat of the story is right there. Because without that, you wouldn't have the other, you know, you wouldn't have those other trilogies. It wouldn't make sense to. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think we don't i think the fandom as a whole doesn't give enough credit to the prequels and i think george gave us a gift with the clone wars because it just enhances those three films and i mean come on you i mean when bad batch opened up in that premiere and you get to see order 66 through the lens of little caleb doom i mean if you didn't cry oh my gosh like it's like i have to live through this pain again you know, didn't we already see this? And it's heart wrenching, but it was just so well done. You felt all that pain again come right back at you. You know, it's it's amazing. Right, Becca. So I asked you to send five photos. Did Crafty sent me six, which I get all the time because <laughs> you Sorry. can separate separate two. And then you sent me another one about a day later, saying, "I can't believe I forgot this. This is the most important thing." So I'm going to start with that one. Now you got asked to endorse. Uh, Matthew Bortolin's The Zenovar 2D2 book. Yeah, yeah How I does did. that come about? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was crazy because um, when that message came to me from Matthew, um, I always say this was a gift from my mother from up above. Um, it was, it came across to me on Mother's Day of all days, and it was my first Mother's Day without my mother. And he asked me to, um, if I would be so kind as to, you know, read his book early if he were to send me the link and if I would, you know, write a blurb. 
and I was like in shock. And he's like, well, you were so kind with the review that you wrote for me on my other book uh, with Coffee with Kenobi, which of all things, uh, Dan Zier, I give this a lot of credit to him as well, because he had asked me years ago to write a review on one of Matthew Borland's books. And I said, okay, sure. Um, and I did. And Matthew just, he really loved it. He reached out to me and thanked me for all my kind words and all that stuff. And I guess that just, he held on to that memory that he really liked what I had to say. So yeah, he asked if I would, you know, write for his book, you know, write a little blurb for it. And I said, sure. And I asked, you know, you know, you know, what do you know, what do I, you know, how much can I say, you know, this and that. And I go, is it okay if I also, you know, <clears throat> list my podcasts, you know, after my name? And he's like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, oh, well, this is great, you know, because, you know, everyone reads, I mean, I do, you know, you go to the back of the book to see who is, you know, saying that this book, you know, that you should read it. And you always look to see who, you know, um, so it was great to have that exposure for the podcast too as well. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was, it was very, very pleasant to hear from Matthew. And it was just, I'm very humbled by it because I never would have expected that to come my way. But my mom was my biggest cheerleader with this stuff. And I used to write blog after blog uh, back when the um, the hyperspace blogs were a thing on the official Star Wars site when it first came out, you know, back in like 2004, 2005. And I had a blog role that I paid for and I would, you know, constantly write and she had printed them all out. She followed them. She was just my biggest cheerleader. She goes, oh, someday you're going to you're going to be in print and somewhere, somewhere, you know, but I at least got that. So that's why I really feel that that was a gift from up above because it had to be her um, somehow being in my corner and kind of whispering in Matthew's ear, like, reach out to Beck. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was very special. And Matthew was nice enough to not only send a copy to myself, but a copy to Mark Suter. And we had him on the show and we talked to him at length about it. It's really a very awesome story. So if you get a chance to read it, please do. Actually, if one of you guys want, I have an extra copy. I'd be more than happy to send one out to you. So if you want to touch base after the show, I would I would do that. That would be lovely. Yeah, we can share it around between us. Yeah, I've not, um, sure. not I've come across before. Yeah, I've just been on eBay uh, looking and uh, yeah, they're, they're available on eBay uh, uh, coming in from the States. So and there are some in the UK. So yeah, and it's uh, got decent reviews as well. So yeah, very good. I'm not sure it's a picture book, Jez. He's so cheap. See, this is what I get all the time. I just, I just get <laughs> bullying because he knows that he's hundreds of miles away from me. And, and when we're in the same room, he treats me a lot differently, Becca. He really does. <laughs> it's okay. It's all in good fun, guys. <laughs> I totally get it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, so the rest of your photos, I think I think the first, the first one clearly throws back to your love of Vader here. But I'm going to ask you about it, why you've, why you've chosen it, because obviously you sent us these images without any context so you sent us this image of anakin slash vader as a as a ghost that's what it's called i'm just going to let you run with it because i i don't know what i'm really looking at until you speak here i believe that's concept art from the force awakens i believe that's by if i'm pronouncing his name correctly i believe that concept art is from ian mccake am i saying that right and these were sketches when they were discussing uh, roundabout ways of trying to implement how the Force Ghost would look of Anakin Skywalker to uh, Luke Skywalker and also to Kylo Ren if they were to go forward with that storyline. And they came up with the concept that Anakin would be the one Force Ghost because he is, quote unquote, the chosen one, to be able to walk through the shadows of light and dark, depending on who was calling to him. 
are calling upon him. So he would look one way, obviously the dark-sided way that you see in that half of the image there, to Kylo Ren and the other half of how we got to see him at the end of Jedi for Luke, um, which I thought was a very awesome concept because it really, to me, fit well, um, especially if you, this is the nerd in me, um, especially if you look at one specific line that Matthew Stover put in his book constantly of episode three, uh, referring to Anakin. And we do get to see this line reissued to us again, which I don't know if many people caught at all. It's in Life Debt in the Aftermath trilogy. And it's also in Jason Fry's expanded edition in The Last Jedi. And that is The Brightest Light Cast the Darkest Shadow. And it's very poetic, but it just fits to me personally, not just Anakin, but the entire Skywalker family. Um, because biblically, you know, you hear of sins of the father, right? Um, where whatever mistake the father has made, it follows his children throughout the generations, you know, and that's kind of what Anakin did. You know, everything he has done, you know, the bad choices, the bad things, it kind of follows his family like a shadow, even though they're bright lights within the force. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I really thought that was a very interesting concept. One that I would have loved to have seen play out. Maybe we will, maybe we will. I mean, it would be great to see it somewhere down the line. Um, cause Star Wars is known to never throw anything away. They recycle. So we'll see. Yeah. It's fascinating. I've never seen that before. It's really, uh, would have been a really interesting way for them to go. No, not seen that. But the whole point about Star Wars recycling, yeah, it's great to see that. Just having a look at original Macquarie stuff and then threading that into Rebels and then Bad Batch and everything else that we're seeing. And now some old stuff coming into Mandalorian. And that's also coming into the toy line. You know, they've just pushed out concepts for more and stuff. So, yeah, brilliant. And you're right. Star Wars is doing very well. You can see, as you said earlier on about the sequels about how the fact that you're convinced that they went back and looked at that revenge of the sith novel and took some leads from that it's there is thought going in it there is research going in it and i think it's great so we move on to the next one you've done now this this, this is great as well so i mean i'm looking forward to knowing how this comes about now you've sent us a picture of i take it this is a bit of celebration art done by steve anderson called the agents of destruction but but there's more to this than just you sending me a print isn't there or something you probably love um this is actually one of the pieces that um i've titled for steve anderson and this was the first piece i've ever done that actually got my caption in there as well in print on something that's officially star wars licensed you know lucasfilm licensed so um i'm ecstatic with that piece yeah i i didn't i don't know if i added that at all with you guys but yeah since 2007 i have been titling for steve anderson all of his celebration limited edition art pieces I've titled. I've done some Disney pieces for him for Frozen. Uh, gosh, I've done some Indiana Jones stuff, Firefly, X-Files too as well. So yeah, Steve's great. Um, so yeah, that has a special place in my heart because coming up with a caption and I worked very hard into the night for that because, you know, Steve never knows uh, how it's going to pan out and we're very secretive about what he shows me, what he can show me, because, you know, red tape, red tape, you know. Um, so I remember him calling me saying, I have to get this piece in. I can't really show it to you, but I can talk to you about it. But I was hoping you could do a, do a caption and we'll see if they'll let it go. But I have to have it in in 24 hours. That's great, <laughs> was my comment. 
Awesome. So my husband now, um, at that time, we had just got married. Um, so he stayed up with me and, uh, you know, I, and reading everything I would come up with and, and he would read it back, seeing if it flowed. And um, yeah, that's, he helped me with that. So it's kind of a, yeah, it, again, it's one of those pieces that really means a lot to me because at the time, Boba Fett was, you know, so overhyped, we didn't have a lot on him yet. So it's like, okay, so what can you say? Um, you know, we really didn't get to see Boba running around with stormtroopers, right? So um, it was an interesting concept. So all I could think of, you know, was kind of having some sort of a connection to the fact that, you know, he is an agent of destruction. He's not so much, you know, on either side. Um, I always look at Boba Fett, especially now, more so like a Thrawn. I don't feel like Thrawn's on either side of anything. I think Thrawn is out just to whatever is going to better himself at the time. And I think of Boba Fett as the same way, especially in that time period. Um, he's for himself. Um, whatever is going to get him the most money at the time, he, that's where he's at. doesn't matter what side you're on. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that's, it's, again, it's always wonderful to do something that's for Star Wars because it's just, I don't know. It's like, I, like I said at the top of the show, it's part of our DNA. Yeah, it's wonderful. So that was the first piece you named for uh, Steve Anson, was it? Um, I think that was... My second or third. The first one I did for him was um, Dark Avenger. And that is a piece of, I believe, Anakin and Vader. And it's Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. And above him is Darth Vader. And it's kind of like the melding of the two coming together. And it's it's interesting. He's done some beautiful work. He actually did the cover art for Revenge of the Sith and for Labyrinth of Evil for the books. And obviously I came across uh, today... He'd obviously released a Mandalorian piece of artwork, which I assume you've named as well, which is more recent, isn't it? Helmet on, yes. Gone. Yes, yes, yes. I put a lot of research into that because we wanted something that was really in Mandalor- Mandalorian lore. So I really did a lot of research on that. And I said, you know, this just fits. This fits with who Din is. Because um, you think about it, you know, um, once he takes off that helmet, he's all heart. You know, he's, yeah, he did it for only one person and that's for Grogu. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I thought that was a very fitting uh, title for that piece. Can you just recall what that title was again, please? Uh, Helmet on Heart Gone. It's, mm. a good, it's a lovely piece. Yeah. Helmet on Heart Gone. Awesome. Thanks. Now the next, um, the next image you sent me is, um, is, is brilliant. So it was a, a three High Republic books with a fantastic letter. Oh yeah. Um, Cause I believe when you, Asked me some pictures. You were asking me what you know, what has meant the most to me uh, throughout podcasting and things like that. And I absolutely adore this era. And and it's not just so much those books per se. It's everything that has gone into the whole structure of this era. Um, the unity in between these, as Daniel Jose Older likes to refer to themselves, not as the authors, but as the architects. Right? Um, they're the architects of this era. And and it's about a unified era in Star Wars. And these writers, these creators, they're so unified. They are like a family on their own. Um, they're constantly in communication. They understand all these characters inside and out. If there is a question, they get on the phone. You know, can I go this route? Can I do this? Can this person or this, you know, anything? Can I do this with this? They're, it's so well melded. It's absolutely blows my mind how cohesive this era has been and we haven't even 
reached the halfway point. It's amazing to me how much work they have put into this. And when you get to see the behind the scenes, because they've had a couple little videos, whether it be on Disney Plus or whatever, and you can see them and they sit at Skywalker Ranch and they're in the big boardroom and they're doing like storyboards, almost like how George would do the animated series or how George would do the films. And they're going about it that way. There's storyboards and they're all talking about it. It's a big, literally, it's like a board meeting. Everyone is for not to, you know, no pun intended here, but they're literally on the same page with everything. And it just amazes me how much work has went into this because it's one of those things where you really hope they're realizing down the line, this is how they need to go forward with not just writing these, these stories, but to put them on screen as well, you know, whether it be another trilogy or another animated series or another, you know, live action series on Disney plus, this is how they need to go forward with their storytelling because it, it, it really does work. And I just think that's something I never thought I was ever going to see with star Wars. Um, but the stories are so fresh and new yet they feel like star Wars. And I just want to give them so much credit to everything that they have done because they're doing such an excellent job and they're not rewriting things, you know, in any way, taking away from what we already know. They're only building upon that. And I really do believe like even these stories, they make you look at the prequels differently now. And it's not bad. It's even better, you know, so it's just I don't know. I just think it's it's amazing what they've done. So I just definitely want to highlight that. We're going to turn now to your next image, which this has come up several times already this evening. And that's. Matthew Stover and Revenge of the Sith book obviously means a lot to you. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. It's my favorite Star Wars book. Now, I have a quick question for you with regards to this, because nowadays, Stu and I have chatting about this. Disney do very well at keeping things close to their chest, hiding secrets. You know, the season two finale of Mandalorian, uh, the opening episode of Mandalorian, you know, certain things which happened in the sequels caught me by surprise. You know, I don't go looking for for spoilers and stuff online i hide from them but where and when episode three came out rise um sorry revenge of the sith the book came out over a month before didn't it It came out on april the 4th april the 5th 2005 where the film came out in late may so i assumed you just poured yourself all over this book and you probably read it at least once before the movie came out is that why you learned so much or or no i actually read it after um right because after the movie came out and at that point in time, you know, we were under the whole impression that this was it. It was done. End of story, book closed. Um, so and I was going through a very dark time in my own personal life. So I just remember heading to the library constantly and grabbing anything I could read and find that had to do with that era of Star Wars. And when I saw that book, I was like, oh, this is the novelization of the movie. I probably couldn't put that book down. I think I read it over the series of two days. Um, and I just remember crying over that book. And I'm like, okay, well, I still want more. You know, what was, in the back of my mind, I was constantly questioning, well, what was it like for Anakin and Padme during the Clone Wars? Did they have any rendezvous? Like, how often were they really together? Like, what was that like? And it just really blew my mind that we didn't have that story. Because in this novel, it really touches on them as a couple. Um, you know, the fact that, which I love because we don't get this anywhere else. It's it's in the book. But um, that the fact that, you know, Padme gifts Anakin after they're married with two, you know, she gifts him with R2-D2. 
and he gifts her with 3PO. You know, it's the exchange of the droids during the exchange of the vows kind of thing. And it's just, there's something very special about their connection that we don't get really on screen. Because I get it, there's just not enough time to go there. You can only show, you know, certain pieces. But also in that book, there's such a connection to Padme and everything that she's doing behind the scenes and, you know, in the Senate. And a lot of that is missing because she's such such an incredible character, um, which reminds me of a book that uh, Daniel Wallace did. Um, I think it's called uh, Rebel Legends or Legends of the Rebels or something like that. And there's a, you know, he does these books very, very well. Well, he'll do like little um, notes in the margins that are supposed to be from the characters, right? Because they're like journal books. And there's a notation in there from Leia. And she says, what, you know, what would my mother have been had she lived through, you know, the like live through the purge of the Jedi and into the birth of the rebels, you know, where would my mother be today? And that's a huge question because you think about that. I mean, she would have never rested. She would have still fought for what she believed in. And we miss so much of that, how much she has done, because had she not that whole piece in the book that we get in the deleted scenes as well, that's not in the actual film of her literally being the face and the head of the delegates of 2000, you know, basically saying, we want you to sign over powers, Palpatine, back to the Senate. You know, all those powers, and he refuses. And she's standing up to not only him, but to her husband as well, because Anakin stands right behind him, right behind Palpatine. And the way she glares at him, she wasn't going down with without a fight. She didn't, you know, what was right was what, what, was, what was right. Didn't matter what her personal relationship was. And I think this novel does such a great job at giving us all that. And it's all those things that we don't get on screen. And I think most of us who only watch what's on screen, we lose sight of how powerful and how strong-willed Padme really was, um, which we get to see extensions of that within Leia and within Luke, which is wonderful. But yeah, that novel just has so much going on. And I really did relate to so much because of what was going on in my own life at the time. And I think there's a part of me that does take it more on the personal side versus just looking at it through as a, you know, as an art form. Um, but don't we all, when it comes to Star Wars, there's a certain part of it that's very personal. And that means so much more to us on more of a sentimental note than it does just on art. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just one of those books that I go back to constantly, whether it be for research or for a quote. But yeah, it's just, it really adds so much depth to the whole saga story, actually, to uh, just on so many levels. Brilliant. So you you then sent me two other two other images. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. The first one, the, the, fe- had, the female we character. We had to ask. Yeah. I messaged Jez and said, you know, who this is. And he was like, no. <laughs> so no, we had which, to ask one of our team. I had to um, look to see what I sent you. I have. Okay. We have. Well, we have. We have managed to. Uh, another one of our team has uh, informed us. Who it is? Uh, yeah, we could have cuffed it. We could have pretended that we know who is it. Vi, is it Vi? Oh, Vi, yes. And was there anyone else that I, I thought there was someone else attached? With yes, that so I you think. sent me an image of this Vi Maradi. I understand her name is, and you then sent me a still from Mandalorian with Cobb Vanth in the image. Yep. Yeah, as I said um, in the beginning of the show, it's as someone who does a book podcast, it's always an amazing feeling when you see something pop off the pages and all of a sudden is put into live action. And Vi is just huge for me because I love her character in the stories. And 
you know, with Black Spire, and we first get her in Phasma, all right? She's in the beginning there, and she heads up. She goes head-to-head with, uh, or toe-to-toe, so to speak, with uh, Cardinal. So, and now she literally is the lead at Galaxy's Edge. She is your, she is Leia's leading spy. She is living and breathing and running around Galaxy's Edge. Um, yeah, that's who you're there to see. It's not so much Ray and Kylo Ren. That is Vi's area. That is Vi's home. She is there to get more rebels, more resistant members to help fight for their cause. It's all about Vi. So to get her to pop from the pages and literally into a theme park, it's just, I was, I'm just ecstatic. Um, and people literally have to research her to know who she is. And people have, people have read her story after, you know, coming across her in person at Galaxy's Edge. So I think that's awesome. And how about, what about Cobb? <laughs> Cobb was first introduced to us in Aftermath Trilogy, in the very first Aftermath book. Yeah. Um, so when he popped up on screen, I was texting Mark Suter like, oh my gosh, did you see this? So we're like, it just it was like we personally had a win-win. Though it's not ours at all to take credit for, but that's just how we felt because it was just like, this is spectacular. Like, when do you see that happen? It just doesn't happen. So these crossovers were just awesome. And I love how they introduced him. I loved how they had him embellish his story to Din because the backlash so many people had online over that, it made me laugh. And I'm sorry if that was anyone out there that is listening. And I don't mean it to poke fun, but it's like, think about yourself. If you were in that situation and you were talking to a Mandalorian, wouldn't you do everything that you could to make yourself sound great? I mean, you would. So you would definitely make your story sound that much better. You know, so you have some like, so you feel like you're staying on even ground with this guy, you know, because you don't want to sound like, you know, an idiot, you know, that you just came across some armor. You want to make it sound like this really awesome thing happened to you. So I think they did a wonderful job doing that um, because think about it, you know, you go back to the original Star Wars and you get Obi-Wan, you know, telling Luke, I think it was what in um, Return of the Jedi, he says, you know, um, uh, truths that we cling to depend uh, greatly on our own point of view. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, Cobb Van's point of view of what happened. Um, <laughs> so I just uh, think that was yeah. awesome. I just, yeah. I love how they did it. And again, it goes to show you that they're reading, they're going into these books because they didn't just pull the name Cobb Vanth out of a hat. You know what I mean? So, yeah, pretty awesome. Well, Becca, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to go and return through. I'm currently going back through the aftermath um, at the moment, but definitely going to return to Revenge of the Sith, I think, after this um, interview. Mm, sounds like it. I've got a quick question for you. Having not really ventured into all the um, sort of non-canon, all the Legends books, and not really venturing outside of what we've seen on screen so much, what one book, if you said to someone, you know, you always get that question, oh, what film should I watch first? You know, I haven't seen Star Wars before. What film should I watch first? But if I was posing the question to you, OK, what book, what extra book outside of the movies and everything else, what book would you recommend for people to start with? Oh, wow. I guess it would depend on where they are in Star Wars. You know, I mean, you know, depending on what kind of fan they are, if they're into, you know, the sequels or if they're into the prequels or if they're into the just the original stuff, you know, where they are, because um, that's hard, you know, because it depends on the era, you know, really. Um, ooh, 
No, honestly, I think I have an answer. I think a good book to start with, regardless of where you are um, in your journey, I'm going to have to go with Claudia Gray, Star Wars Bloodline. I think that does touch on enough of the stories that are already out there before it and even after it that you can kind of connect the dots with it. I think, yeah, I, I'm going to say that one. Star Wars Bloodline. Brilliant. So I've got a couple of jobs to do. Of course, you can read Star Wars Bloodline and then afterwards need to contact Claudia Gray, you say, because I think you said you always want also wanted her to be the author of your Shmi book as well. So, right. OK, I'll check that book and then I'll be writing to Claudia and tell her to um, crack on and write that Shmi book for Becca. <laughs> Sounds great. I look forward to hearing what she says. Well, Becca, thank you so much for, I mean, this evening here, but bang in the middle of your Sunday over there. I mean, you, you've already told us you recorded with Martin Newbold yesterday, so another another five hour time difference. So you must be having a great time. <laughs> um, uh, this has been out. fun. Thank you both for having me on. Where can people find you? Because obviously we've said you're a very busy person. Where can people find your podcasts, find your blogs? I mean, I think you write for Fan for Tracks, don't you? I, I do. I'm kind of um, stunted at the moment. We were doing a group effort over there on the reviews for the Bad Batch, but now that the Bad Batch sadly is over um, for right now, I haven't written much over there, but I definitely need to get back into it. Mark and I were just recently talking about that, but you know, scheduling, scheduling is always the problem. Um, so yeah, I do have um, kind of a little blog roll over there. You know, if you just go in the search bar on Fanthatrack's website and type my name in Becca Benjamin, the stuff I've written should pop up. Um, so there is definitely stuff there. Uh, best place, though, to reach out to me uh, personally is on Twitter at URAngelB. Um, there you'll see my uh, little bio there, you know, where to find Tarkin's Top Shelf, which is at Tarkin's Top Shelf. And that's everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. Uh, you can also find Kanata's Castle on all that social media as well. But on Twitter there, it's Castle Kanata. Um, and then obviously on Facebook and Instagram, it'll be listed as Kanata's Castle. And yeah, definitely, you know, like, follow, that'd be great. But yeah, best place for me, though, personally, is on Twitter. Well, we'll put all your links to all the shows and everything on our page for anyone that's listening that wants to go and check check it out anyway. So ease of use in case they uh, they can't find it. Becca, thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate uh, your time. And um, yeah, hopefully chat again in the future. Have you on about something different? Sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks again, guys. So that is our interview with Becca Benjamin. Um, obviously, got uh, more shows coming up thick and fast. So please go over to We Are Generation Skywalker, our Facebook page, and join in any conversation, anything that uh, this podcast might have triggered in your mind. Come and share your thoughts with us. Uh, check out our enhanced versions over on YouTube. Go just search for Generation Skywalker and check out our social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter just by searching Generation Skywalker again. And of course, go over to www 
generationskywalker.com where you will find all our shows, all our enhanced shows, our blog posts, links to everything over there so you will be able to find what you're looking for. A huge thanks once again to Becca. Uh, really do appreciate it. Certainly giving us some food for thought and definitely going to maybe go and dip my toe into the High Republic books after this interview. But it is for this show. Goodbye from me and we are Generation Skywalker. Generation Skywalker.